here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content's added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Hi there, and welcome to my show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm your host, Bianca Murray. This is a podcast for aspiring writers or anyone who'd like to learn more about what happens behind the scenes in the publishing industry. We have two wonderful guests with us for today's episode in which we're exploring the intricacies of the relationship between author and agent. My first guest is a literary agent who began her career at Russell and Vulcaning, where she worked for 12 years with such writers as Anne Tyler, Eudora Welty, Joseph Campbell, Nadine Gordimer, and Bernard Malamud. In 1994, she established her own agency, which she ran for 21 years until she joined Fiore and Company in 2016. And my second guest is the internationally best-selling author of More Than Words and The Light We Lost, which was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Her books have been translated into more than 35 languages and have been named to the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, 
Apple, and IndieBound bestseller lists. She is the associate publisher of Philomel Books, an imprint of Penguin Young Readers Group, where she edits critically acclaimed, award-winning, and best-selling books. It's my pleasure to welcome Miriam Altshula and Jill Santapolo. Thank you for joining me today. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I've been considering a lot is how the relationship with your agent is probably one of the most important relationships you will have as an author. So many people think that the relationship with your editor is the most important, but I think that during the course of your career, you will have many editors, you will change publishing houses, but if you find the right fit, you will have one agent for an extended period of time. And that's why I wanted to take a closer look at it today. Miriam, before we dive into your relationship specifically with Jill, I'd like to ask how many manuscript submissions do you get in the average week? It's always the question that people ask and the answer I think people are most surprised by. I get more than a lot of agents because I do adult fiction and nonfiction and I do middle grade and YA in kids. So I kind of run a lot of gamuts, but I can get between two and 300 queries a week. And it's really become hard to keep up with all of it. How many manuscripts I get is really a question of how many I ask to read, but I read a lot. I read all the time. But the queries, even getting through queries, which you know I do on my night times and weekends, I don't have time to do that during the workday, is a lot. Do you have a assistant? Do you have an intern, somebody who goes through everything first and then points out ones that they think you'll like? Or is it completely up to you to go through everything in the slush pot? My assistant looks at it when she can and has time, she's really busy too. And we have wonderful interns. And when I have interns and they're in the intern time, they do spend a lot of time looking at them and certainly want to make sure that referrals and or people I've met at writers conferences, because I like to make sure that I extend that invitation to those people. But, you know, there's always weeks or months between interns and internships. So those are the more challenging times when it's harder. I say to a lot of writers that it's kind of a combination of hard work, tenacity, and good luck. Because sometimes you can write the most amazing novel and it could just get stuck in the slush pile for no other reason than bad luck and somebody just hasn't actually seen it. What stands out to you when you're looking at your submission? What really catches your eye? I always say what I look for is somebody who can really say what their book is about not just a synopsis that this happens and this happens, but I look for a writer who really has an understanding of what they're trying to write. Go into your local bookstore when if they're open, uh, you know, go onto Amazon if that's what you have to do and, and look at how flat copies are, are written on a book. What is it that draws you to buy a book or to want to read a book? And what you need to do is describe your book. I always want to know what the heart of the book is, not that it's, just a story of, but I want to know what the heart of the book. I mean, I think one of the things even thinking about The Light We Lost is it's about first love. It's so easy to sell that book. It's so easy to engage with that story. All of us remember that first love. And so that automatically, if I saw that in a query, would, you know, would draw me into that. But I find sometimes people don't always under, you know, they think, you know, you can have good writing, you can have an interesting idea, 
But to really understand what the heart of a book is, is something that's harder to find in writing a great novel or even a narrative nonfiction book or a memoir. And so people who can really write about that beautifully, who can engage, set their book apart from something else are the ones that I really look at. I think it's important that they tell me maybe maybe comparable titles, not the Harry Potters or the, you know, Stephen King's, but books where it shows me that they read and they understand literature and they understand maybe where their book might be on a bookshelf. All of this kind of helps me understand that a writer understands the business as well as the writing of a book. And that's so interesting because I think if I'd ever queried you, you would never have picked up anything I I say to you because my problem as a writer is I kind of write and then I let my book out into the world and I kind of leave it up to my readers to tell me what they think the book is about. So I would, and I'm terrible at the elevator pitch at condensing it. But what I am good at is knowing my weaknesses, and I know that's a weakness of mine. And so I would be more inclined to hire someone who could work with me to put that pitch together and someone who's really good at narrowing that down. So I feel that as writers, you know, we have we have things that we're really, really good at. But if we're not good at things like that, that are going to grab an agent's attention, we shouldn't be scared to consult with somebody who can help us with that. Yeah, I mean, if you're also not great at grammar, you might want to hire a copy editor. You know, it doesn't mean hire, you can also hire an outside editor who might really help you structure, edit the book before you go out with it. But there there are people there to help because, you know, our time is just harder. As agents, we're doing so much more than we ever did. Um, You know, certainly when I started out in the business, I'm going to date myself, but over 35 years ago. And so, you know, we're really looking for things that show a certain level of understanding of where a book needs to be before we can edit it and sell it. So Jill, could you tell us how you came to work with Miriam? I first met Miriam when I was wearing my editor hat and we had done a deal together. And I think Miriam had sent me an email saying, we should celebrate our first deal together with lunch. And I thought that sounded like a lovely idea because who wouldn't want to have a nice celebratory lunch? We went out and it was almost like when you go out on a great first date, we sat and had lunch. I think it was for two and a half hours. And we talked about everything and we really clicked just as human beings. And then at the end of the lunch, um, Miriam had said to me, so, you know, I know you're a writer. We talked about your writing. Who's your agent? And I said, I actually don't have one right now. And she said, well, you know, if you want to send me your stuff, I'd be happy to read it. And I thought she was just being super nice. And I, and she's like, no, I'm serious. And I said, okay, you, thank you. And lunch kind of ended. And I was thinking about her offer I wasn't particularly looking for an agent. I wasn't really working on anything that was ready to sell. And then that night I had dinner with a friend of mine and I was talking about the offer that Miriam had made to read some of my stuff. And he said, so you're going to send it tomorrow, right? And I said, no, I I don't know if I'm really, it's not the right time. And he was like, are you ridiculous? Like, of course you're going to send it. You liked her. She's smart. She's a good agent. And she asked to see your writing. So send it to her. Worst case scenario, she says, I don't like it. 
in the author agent relationship, there's going to be times where there's bad news, where things haven't quite worked out the way you wanted to, where there's severe disappointment and you need that relationship to be strong enough to kind of weather that. Uh, and you really need your agent to believe in you enough so that even if there's times that you pitch a project that doesn't get picked up, that they are invested in you enough that they will stick around for the next project. I was going to ask you because you write for adults and you write for children. So your Sparkle Spa series, did you never have an agent for that series or was it just you had an agent and then you were in between agents when you met Miriam? So that particular series I had not had an agent for. I had written before the Sparkle Spa, I had wrote two children's mysteries that I did have an agent for. And then that agent relationship ended amicably. But And then Sparkle Spot, at the beginning, I sold myself because it was IP. It was um, intellectual property for Simon & Schuster. And they came to me with the idea and said, basically, do you want to audition to write this series? Here's the concept. Here's the characters. Here's what you need to do. So the first four of those I was unagented for. And then Miriam came in on the rest of the series. So Miriam, would you then say that as a writer, even if you straddle kind of genres or if you straddle children's book, adults, et cetera, that it's best to have one agent who represents you across all of these categories, or is it better to choose agents who specialize in each of them? Well, I think you can do it in different ways. I think as an agent, it can be complicated for an author to have more than one agent. And so I think if you're a writer who knows they're only going to do fiction, then you can find an agent who really specializes in fiction. But if you're a writer that is doing adult and children's or does fiction and nonfiction, there's plenty agents who, who do more than one thing. There are people who specialize more. I, I'm kind of more of a generalist, which I think might be a little harder now than it used to be, but I love it because I'm just so interested in so many different things. I think it could be challenging to have two different agents unless you maybe fiction, I mean, kids and adult, but most agents do do fiction and nonfiction, even if they might specialize in one or the other. In terms of your relationship with Jill, is it the same as your relationship with many of your other authors? Or do you find that you have to intuit what that author needs? And so your relationship with each of your authors is very, very different depending on what it is they need from you. We all have different personalities in agency, and I think you can get a sense of different personalities and what you think you want or what you feel that you engage with. But I feel in terms of what I give my author is very, or authors, is very much based on what they need. I think I have a kind of a calmer guiding hand, and, and I'm, I'm very accessible, and I'm very involved, and Part of the reason I became an agent versus an editor was that I, I'm just a people person. I love engaging in that. I'm, I, that's part of the process that I love. But I can be what they need me to be depending on who they are and, and what the situation calls for too. So Jill, based on that, kind of what are the things that you need from Miriam? So for example, with me as an author, I really need my agent to be a bit of a cheerleader for me because I find that publishing can be so tough 
as writers, we're meant to be really sensitive and intuitive and empathetic, but then we're also expected to deal with an awful lot of rejection as well, which can be really tough. Uh, and so, you know, with my agent, we discovered early on, I needed her to be this Pollyanna. It's fine. You may have gotten a hundred rejections, but we are going to find the one person that is going to love this work. For you, what are, what are the things that you really needed from Miriam and that you she was able to give you? I think one of the main things that I really value about my relationship with Miriam is how completely honest we both are with each other. And I really think that has helped me where if I come to her and I say, is this something I should be concerned about? And if she says to me, no, it is not something you should be concerned about, then I think, okay, great. I don't have to worry about that thing. Miriam said it's fine. Or if I come to her and I say, is this something I need to be concerned about? And she says, yeah, that seems a little strange to me then I think, okay, this is something we actually have to pursue right now, you know? And I, you know, trust her judgment so much that I think that's a, a part of our relationship that I treasure. I also think her editorial eye is fantastic and that has been so helpful to me. I mean, she's edited every single novel that I have written multiple times before it goes to my actual editor. And I think that she's helped me see what I'm trying to do and then make that stronger, which I think then makes the novel stronger going into the process. I know I must be bothering her sometimes, but never. it never, never feels that way. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, if I, if I email her, I, it won't even be 24 hours before I get a response, you know, and I feel like that that is really reassuring to me that it, it feels like there's someone who is looking out for me and that I'm not navigating this process alone. And I'll just add to that and say, I think that in this relationship, trust is so important because if an author doesn't trust, and it doesn't mean it can't be questioned and it can't be discussed. And I think my author has been a lot to the table. And I think Jill in particular, because she's an editor, she understands so much about the business Sometimes that could be challenging because she can read into things in, in certain ways, but we are very honest with each other and she does understand the business. And we actually, I feel very strongly, we work that in our favor. I think in other situations, it might complicate things more, but we happen to, I feel it, it really strengthens that. But the trust is just so important because if I don't trust them to listen, that doesn't mean that we can't discuss it and change our ways. But if I don't feel that they trust my instincts and what I'm doing, it, it barely just breaks down. And I think that oftentimes is then the situation that leads to people changing agents. We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, 
it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words so you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. The other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one-month language course. Think about the cost of one-hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. We have a special offer for you guys. That's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you what writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre or time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up for this 3,000 word evaluation. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 2nd of June, with the matchup emails going out on the 3rd of June. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the beta reader matchup page, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. To a certain degree, I think there's kind of a playbook for this kind of thing, but other times there isn't. It's you knowing which editors at which publishing houses to submit to. You having a sense of, you know, which editor is really going to love something that one of your writers has written. You deciding whether you submitting to a small group of people first or if you're kind of widening the net and there's we don't understand the business and so there is this sense of wondering you know is our agent choosing the right strategy is it going to pay off for us so definitely I, I agree with you that that trust there is so incredibly incredibly important knowing yeah. that they're advocating for us and that they are absolutely doing the best they can for our ongoing career not just for for one book. Um, Miriam, you said earlier how much publishing has changed. And this is something that I've noticed as well, because I think 10, 15 years ago, 
maybe longer, I feel like editors were doing a lot more editing. Whereas now when you submit to an editor at a publishing house, they kind of want that novel to be at least 80% polished and perfect. And this is now where agents are becoming editors and are having to do so much editorial work before the novel even goes out on submission. Is, right. is that a fair assessment? I think it's a fair assessment in, in that change. I, I'm, I want to be very clear that I, I feel like editors really do want to edit and they're amazing editors. And I, I look at what Jill's editor, Tara, does. You know, she just makes everything just glow. And I think they would love, to, they all want that time and they all love to edit. That's why they're in the business. I think the change has been that we all are wearing a lot more hats and those hats stay on our heads longer than ever. You know, a shout out to editors who do a phenomenal job with their editing and care about that a great deal. But they're also, you know, getting the blurbs we need to get, being a part of the marketing, reaching out to booksellers, you know, connecting to the in-house booksellers. They're needing to spend so much more time being an in-house champion and being a part of that process. And yes, they have amazing publicity teams and marketing teams, but I feel like it's a big collaboration now, which is exciting and interesting, but it takes a lot more time for everybody. It's a much more collaborative decision to buy something now. It has to go through so many more people. I mean, certain people might be able to buy things without a lot of other people in the house loving it, but they need that in-house support. You want that in-house support. And so as an editor, you might be able to see how to fix something that has a lot of problems, but can you convey that to marketing, publicity, the head of the department in a way that will make it make sense to buy something. We all want the house to love it. Buzz for a book starts so early. Yeah. Um, it starts pretty much at acquisition stage. If an editor is so excited about a book when they buy it, they can get sales and marketing excited about the book, which kind of translates to everybody else. And that's how Buzz is created about a book. And uh, one of the great things we did with The Light We Lost, I, I did give the foreign rights to Penguin and they have such an incredible team and they went out... It was August and they went out in the middle of August, I mean, when everybody is shut down. And I think we got something, Jill, 25 sales in like four weeks for the light we lost in the middle of summertime. It was incredible. incredible. And so that kind of in-house buzz just, you know, propelled that novel to have so much in-house love. Jill, from your side, have you ever submitted anything to Miriam that you've really liked? And when it came to the editorial phase, she's just been like, oh no, oh no, this needs to be changed. Have you, have you ever kind of had these moments where she didn't like a character or particular storyline? Some of the manuscripts have had more comments than others. And I think what, what I find really helpful actually about Miriam's comments is they're not usually prescriptive. She'll say something. I know she said this for The Light We Lost, for example, and I will never forget it. At the end of the book, she said, I should be crying at the end and I'm not. You need to go back and work on that. And that to me was such a helpful note because it was basically like, okay, this is what isn't working about it. But now I had the job of sitting there and figuring out like, what do I do to make this emotion happen? And, and that's kind of what her notes are often like for manuscripts. 
And that I think makes it so that there's nothing that ever feels like I did this wrong. It's just like, this isn't doing what it's meant to do. Because of course, I meant to have people cry at the end of the light we lost. It just wasn't working. And Miriam basically was just pointing out like this thing you were trying to do, you didn't actually do it. And I don't necessarily know if that would work for every author, but it works well for me. And I think there's, there is that kind of conversation of when you ask about what, I, what authors need. Some people need me to give them the ideas or want me to, but I love working with Jill because she loves figuring it out. And th- there have been times we've talked through more depthly on how to do that, but she loves the ideas and then she runs with it. Do, do you send Miriam a kind of outline before you even begin writing or do you write and then send it to her as you're going along? Because I know some writers who prefer sending that outline and they kind of work on the whole plot and the outline up front and then the writer will dive into it if the agent feels invested in the story or is it that the story comes to you, you write it and then you get Miriam's feedback along the way? Um, I think we talk about it usually. I don't think I've, I necessarily write things up. In fact, I don't think I have, but I think I'll call her and I'll say, here's what I'm interested in writing next. This is kind of the concept. This is the idea. This is where the story would go. This is kind of what I'd want to say with the story. How does that sound? And then, you know, we will talk about it then. And then usually I'll go back and I'll write a little bit of it and a summary that's not super in-depth, um, but just kind of this is approximately what will happen and this is kind of where the middle will go and this is kind of where we'll end up. And when I write, I use those sort of vague summaries, but a lot happens that is not in the summary. Jill, as an editor now, I'm asking this question when you're wearing your editor's hat. Are there certain agents that when they submit to you, you immediately read their submission from their client because you know that this agent has a really good sense of, of what the market wants or, or not necessarily? Um, there are definitely agents who I've done multiple deals with and worked with for a long time who I know will only send me something if they think it's really right for me. Um, So I will put those on the top of the pile where there are other agents who either, you know, I haven't really worked with before, or we don't really know each other very well. And the, the submissions are slightly less targeted just because we don't know each other as well. And I'm wondering if you have advice for emerging writers when it comes to one, who they should query with, and two, if they get an offer, how they should assess that offer of representation. One of the things that I've actually done um, for some people that Miriam has taken on is I've spoken to them because they've wanted to talk to someone who has worked with her before and to sort of say, what's your experience been like and ask specific questions about the relationship. And I also think just making sure that you as an author know what it is you're looking for in an agent. You know, are you looking for someone who is editorial? Or are you looking for someone who is really focused on marketing and sales and promotion and someone who, you know, really wants to get involved in that aspect of your career? Or are you looking for someone who's doing, who wants to do it all, you know? And I think once you kind of figure out the kind of agent that you want, you'll be able to ask questions that will 
get you a, an agent who will kind of be simpatico with you and share your, your vision for your career. I'm going to add and say, I think one of the other things is to really have a, that editorial conversation and make sure that the author is not just passion for the project, but their vision editorially works with what you, because you don't want to sign on and all of a sudden you get these notes and I mean, I don't think you can expect off, you know, an agent to put the time into writing up notes and doing that kind of deep dive um, without signing on. That's a lot of time, but you can have the conversation in terms of, in general, what, how much work is it going to be? Or, you know, is it, is just the ending the problem? Or is the whole thing the problem? And I think you want to make sure that you see eye to eye in terms of the work as well as their passion for it. I think that's such a good point because I know a few agents who've said that they will look at a manuscript and they can see the potential in it and then they quest revisions or rewrites and a lot of authors will just dig in their heels and kind of go it's great the way it is I'm not rewriting it and so I know a whole bunch of agents who absolutely won't offer any kind of representation until they know that the author is open to listening, um, to getting that input, and they're prepared to revise. One more question, Miriam, that I have is when you, when you ask for the full manuscript, how many pages do you give it in terms of the amount of time you're prepared to spend on oh, it? Oh, God, I can, I can read a, just a short amount. I can read half, and I can read the whole thing, and then in the end, not take it on. It really, it depends. I really can read the whole thing, and in the end, just not love it enough. I mean, we have there's so much work that goes into representing a book, from the editorial. I might love it, but see it needs work, and not know exactly how to fix it. But between the editing, finding the right editor, the publicity, it can be at minimum two, if not several years, you know, from start to finish. So you have to start out with a great deal of passion. And and to me, that's what it's all about. It's a passion for the work, the passion for the, you know, working with the writer. Um, That's what makes it so special for me. So I have read plenty of manuscripts from start to finish that I have not represented, even if I think they're worthy of being published. But I can read very little to the whole thing. It just, it depends when I lose interest or just don't see it's for me. A big thank you to Jill and Miriam for joining us on today's show. If you have any questions about writing, please email them to me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. In the meantime, keep writing. Here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who is in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. 
Don't forget there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com slash course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com slash course. Use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com slash course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com slash course. Use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is 
different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there.